good to go when you are, good sir. I'm ready. <laughs> I wonder if and so ready. is Jay. I was just going to say, Jay Siebel, not messing around at all. Not at all. Hello, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. It is August the 2nd. I'm Kyle Rosdahl. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Coming back to the pod. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're uh, like a many-time listener, well, welcome to you, too. Anyway, uh, today is uh, Wednesday, uh, which means we're going to do some news, some smiles, and then get out of your hair and let you get on about your day. Uh, So we'll jump right in. Kimberly, what do you got? Uh, I got two. First of all, it's just a link to the Department of Justice's indictment against former President Donald Trump. And it's 45 pages of glory. I believe it's 45 pages. Uh, I don't need to talk about it. I can't really add much more to it than the many, many, you know, billions of gallons of ink and digital imagery of letters that have been spilled and talking heads on television. But I would encourage folks to read the indictment. And go to the original source and the evidence presented and read it because this is an important moment for our country. And I think it's worth looking at the original document. So we will have a link to it on our show notes. So that's all I have to say about that. Hard Mm -hmm. agree. You bet. Okay. The other one I have is what I thought was a really fabulous piece in The New Yorker um, about – Climate emotions, how we deal with our emotions related to climate change, which we've been doing a lot on the show Mm -hmm. the last couple of Mm -hmm. weeks, Um, and the stress and anxiety and the feelings of hopelessness that come with the, you know, sense that it's bad, it's getting worse, and it feels like it's hard to do anything about it at this point. And it's... um, an interesting piece exploring sort of how we deal with these feelings, how different we process these feelings in the West when it's, as as one of the people quoted in the article said, it's hard to make decisions about, you know, dealing with climate change from an air-conditioned room Mm -hmm. and how different it is for us as we process it compared to in parts of the world where people are already dying um, from the heat, from extreme weather, who are actually seeing their communities sink into the ocean and the sort of privilege it is to be able to sort of stop thinking about it for a minute. But there was an interesting passage in here, and I'll just read some of it, uh, talking they were talking to a climate therapist. Uh, they're actually therapists now that are tra- wow. that are trained and are training others to help people deal with anxiety related to climate change. And it says, climate anxiety differs from many forms of anxiety a person might discuss in therapy. Anxiety about crowds or public speaking or insufficiently washing one's hands because the goal is not to resolve the intrusive feeling and put it away. It's not a keep calm and carry on approach. Uh, Thank you, Yuki. Um, (laughs) It's not a keep calm and carry on approach, said this therapist. When it comes to climate change, the brain's desire to resolve anxiety and distress often leads either to denial or fatalism. Some people convince themselves that climate change is not a big deal or that someone else will take care of it. Others conclude that all is lost and there's nothing to be done. And Davenport, this therapist, pushes her clients to aim for a middle ground of sustainable distress, becoming more uncomfortable becoming more comfortable with uncertainty, remaining present and active in the midst midst of fear and grief. And um, I think that's Mm. a good solution, remain present and active in the midst of fear and grief. And also elsewhere, you know, they recommend that if you're having these feelings, 
you know, can you decide that here's the chunk of the day that I'm going to process these feelings or chunk of the week, mm -hmm. I'm going to deal with these feelings at this time and accompany that with some action of doing what I can do. And, mm -hmm. you know, such as, you know, throw a cat out the window. Yeah, well, that's all <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh -huh. yeah. yes. um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a good piece. It's a little bit of a long read. Um, and it's actually from back earlier in July. I just happened to stumble across it uh, today. But um, yeah, yeah it's totally that's, my, that's my thing. Totally interesting. Uh, so two thoughts uh, before I move into my item-ish thing. Number one, speaking of fear and anxiety uh, and your admonition uh, for people to just read the indictment, it, it is well-written. It is a story well-told. Um, but mm -hmm. here's my fear and anxiety about that. Uh, and it was prompted by an interview on Morning Edition this morning, an interview that um, uh, it might have been Layla Fadel, might have been a, I don't even know, with, with Sarah Longwell, who's a Republican strategist, talking about how little difference this indictment makes to Trump voters. And I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. I mean, I may have told you the story about being in a taxi uh, once or an Uber with a guy who was hell-bent on convincing me that January 6th was not that bad. Nobody was really injured. Um, the only person to die as a result of it was um, the woman who, mm -hmm. who was shot. Mm -hmm. um, and that Everybody was blowing it out of proportion. And I kept pointing him to evidence after evidence after yeah. evidence of, you know, he was like, you got to believe, listen to the, the, you know, the police were on their side. And I'm like, there are all these police testifying that they were being attacked and there's video. And, and finally, I said to him, I said, what piece of information yeah. from what source would make you believe differently than you do? And he was like, to be honest, nothing at this point. Right. Right. And that was hard for me to hear. Right. But what I took from that is um, that's a lost cause. So what else can we do? Right? What else can we do? Either give information to people who are still willing to hear it. Um, or if there is going to be a cohort of people who refuse to believe the danger to the democracy and refuse to acknowledge the evidence, and the same thing with climate change, what can we then do to counteract that? What can we do as engaged citizens of the democracy to protect what's right, left? Right. Right? Okay. And so, I think that's what we got to do. Okay. So, look, I, 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 I grant you and in many ways admire your what can we do about it instead of attitude, which is in direct contrast <laughs> to mine, which is, God, this is just so boogered up and, you know, all that other stuff, right? We, we differ on that. But look, it's entirely possible that the Republican nominee for president, by the time the nominating conventions come around, will be mm -hmm. a convicted felon, or if not mm -hmm. convicted, then certainly deep in trial on two or three or however many of the 78 counts. Probably that, four at that right, point. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and and look, we're, we're still short one looming indictment and we're already at 78 felony counts. But Assuming Donald Trump is the president, the Republicans presidential nominee, it is a toss up as to whether he gets elected or not. And as I've said before on this podcast, it was somebody on on uh, Pod Save America, either Tommy or, or Dan, Tommy Vitor, Dan Pfeiffer, who said, you know, this presidential elections are determined by fewer people than fit like in the big house at the University of Michigan, which is a football stadium for those of you who don't know, which is just perilous. And if you have half mm -hmm. the country, give or take, that uh, believes Donald Trump should be the president of the United States, uh, what? What do we do with that? I don't, 
I don't think it's half the country. I think it's the majority of Republican primary voters, which is well, what well, we're the, really talking the, the, about. Well, they for sure believe so. But the guy did get 70-something million votes and, and Biden got 80-something million. And let's not go down that little rabbit hole. But tens of millions mm-hmm. of people. And what the bleepity bleep 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 do we do with that? That I can't process that. Truly, I can't. And I'm a guy who believes in 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 democracy and informed citizenry. And look, in all of my speeches that I give, I have a whole riff about how if you listen to Fox News, if you read the New York Times, you have to read the Wall Street Journal editorial page. If you mm-hmm. watch MSNBC, you got to watch Fox News. But that is breaking down. And I honestly don't know what to do with that. I will, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> call me Pollyanna. I'm going to try to keep picking something right. to give me All hope right. in the world. Um, you are starting to see more Republicans, granted they're never Trumpers, um, start to push Republican donors to pull money back from Republican candidates running for president who don't really have a chance to beat Trump in the primaries. So Mitt Romney's um, come out and said this. Some folks in the Senate, I believe, are getting on board where they're telling Republican donors, stop giving money to primary candidates who cannot, who don't have a real chance to win. And by X date, stop giving them money so that we can really mount a meaningful challenge and have a candidate who is not Trump, because if it's Trump, we're going to lose because that's what they think. Um, and I'm, I'm, and I think that there are more of those conversations happening amongst establishment Republicans um, than we think. And I'm going to um, latch onto that. All right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Pull that one oh, from uh, oh the my archives. God. Uh, the dark God, place. I love it when JC Gold is in charge. All right, so I'll tell you what. Let's just move to smiles because I didn't. Uh, you know, my <laughs> other one's a climate one, and who needs more bad news and all that crap? All right, go ahead. What do you got? Um, mine is uh, today's dose of perhaps um, AI won't just destroy us uh, because I'm trying to find these moments. Uh, again, my my effervescent optimism. Um, there's a story in uh, Politico, the, EU, the European Union version of Politico, that um, AI has improved breast cancer detection rates by hmm. 20%. Hmm. It is a study in Sweden showing the potential of using artificial intelligence in mammography and I think that's great news. I'm happy to start seeing um, applications of AI that aren't just purely to make, you know, tech companies more money sure, sure. or to, you know, destroy the world or whatever. And this is this could potentially, if these um, findings hold up, I think that that could potentially save people's lives and scale in places where there aren't as many doctors, right. you know, to be able to do these detections. And I think that's fantastic. I, I think uh, medicine is ripe for, as many fields are, but medicine in particular is ripe for disruption by AI, radiology in particular. I think if mm-hmm. you're in medical you school now- just have to stare exactly, at pictures. Exactly, exactly. If you're in medical school now and you're thinking about being a radiologist, and look, if, if somebody out there listening thinks I'm wrong, tell me, but I think radiology is is not long for the medical specialty. Because computers are going to be doing it, you know. Yeah, and anything where you have to like even look at like blood samples under a microscope right, and look right, for right, things right. like pathology those sorts of and all things. that jazz. You bet. Totally. Yeah. 
Totally. I'm glad you knew the word for it. Yeah. All right. So that's what I got. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's mine. This one came across my Twitter feed, and it is uh, from – and yes, I was actually on Twitter because I'm not going to call it X. But don't you mean X? <laughs> no, I don't mean X. I will not. I refuse. It uh, is still Twitter.com. That's true. It. Uh, so this is from April the 5th, 2023. It's a presentation to the 8th Annual Planetary Defense Conference in Vienna, Austria, and it's a slide deck titled Prospects for Future Human Spaceflight Missions to Near-Earth Asteroids. And this is NASA laying out how they could get up to a near-Earth asteroid and, like, dock on it and send people there. It's a crew of three, right? It would be 152 mm-hmm. days. It would be a departure date of give or take 2039. They've got an asteroid in mind, 2001 FR85. It's about uh, 20 to 85 meters uh, large. It's crazy. It's wild. They're talking about like like transferring propellant in low Earth orbit and then boosting it up to high Earth orbit and then going after this asteroid. We'll put it on the show page. It's very dorky, but it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. There's, but they've got like a picture of yes. the, um, sh- like the spaceship, I guess, that yes. they want to use and a starship, starship, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and then there's this wonderful like graph of like how they would how get they everything would up there. That's yeah. so cool. And I love this. The starship propellant depot remains in Earth orbit. Like we are living in sci-fi. We're going there. We are going there. <laughs> I love It'd be it. so cool. Sign me up, man. It would. Sign I would totally do up. it. You, you know, I'm ready to retire on the moon. I'm, totally. I'm here for it. I'm, totally. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. There you go. Um, and, and despite you saying I'm too old, I still believe it's a possibility because they're going to need old people on the moon to like see what happens <laughs> to you old, old when you age on, on the moon. moon. Okay. Yeah, because you're going to want to see what happens to people mm. as they age in, you know, low gravity and and in all those spaces and i i volunteer as tribute man (laughs) i love that get us out of here (laughs) all right that's it for us today we're going to be back tomorrow please keep sending us your comments and questions we're at 508 you be smart or you can write us at make me smart at marketplace.org a volunteer's tribute, man. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Berg, Seeker. <laughs> Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Jay Siebold. I see him across the glass there. Our intern is Neil Farsha Bandy. Ben Tolliday and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. Bang Zoom. Bang Zoom.